in case you forgot where we were, um, we were um, talking about walking in victory. We were talking about fighting the battles of life. And so I've been saying this a lot just because the Lord dealt with me. I love music. I love worship music. Um, I like my Spotify account since my media team has gotten me all lined up and I get my daily mix and I'm finding all kinds of new songs and I give them way too many for Ted and the worship team to learn they're backed up. Um, so, um, so there'll never be a problem now that I've found a Spotify account. Um, there'll never be a dearth of new songs around here. And so, um, but, but I have noticed a lot of new ones coming out. And a lot of times I would love to say everybody writes from the anointing. But a lot of times people write from their soul. They use the word of God and they write from their soul. And right now what you're going to hear a lot of is, God, please fight for me. God, please fight for me. Lord, I need you to fight for me. And some of you are going like, yeah, I really would like for him to fight for me. Well, that would be a wrong place to put your faith. Because the good news is Colossians 2.15 is in the Bible. Having spoiled principalities and powers, Jesus made a show of him openly, the devil, triumphing in it in, the, in his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, when he sat down. And the, the Lord doesn't have to fight anymore. You mean he's not going to fight for me? Nope. Don't tell me that. I need him to. He's already won for you. No, he's, see, this is really important. Well, Pastor Mark, I, I don't know that that's true. The Bible says stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And, and you know, don't, you're not going to have to fight in this battle. That's old covenant, and that was a strategy. He just still told him something to do. He told him to go out and say, for the Lord is good. There was still something to do. There was just a different kind of fight. And back then, they had to use spears and swords and real shields. Today, people punch buttons. As long as you're not in the way of them, you're okay. But spiritual battles, because the old covenant is our type and example, but spiritual battles have to be fought today, but not God fight them while I stand here and do nothing. There's our side to do. There's always a God side. Are y'all with me? And there's a man's side. I think I'm in the right church, right? Because all of us can get into the tendency because I don't know about you, but my flesh is kind of weary with everything going on. And so you might be like, Lord, I'm just tired. Can you fight for me? But see, that is a strategy of the enemy is to wear you out. And we're going to get to that tonight. But I'm telling you, Jesus has already won. Jesus has already won. He's seated. He wouldn't have sat down if it wasn't over. Come on, the battle's over. Jesus has won. Well, how come I'm fighting then? Well, you fight a good fight. Come on, you fight the good fight, which is the fight of faith. And he always, come on, do I have to rehearse this to you? Are you? Am I in the right room? He always causes you to triumph. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things. I don't know about you. I'm, about, I'm glad I'm preaching tonight. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Always means always. Amen. And you won't ever lose unless you quit. Now, I have been tempted to quit a time or two. I have quit for a few minutes every once in a while. Just to be real honest. Good thing it doesn't last for days or weeks. Hallelujah. But aren't you glad you already won? 
So, it, you know, and again, I'm not trying to make you, I, I keep bringing it up everywhere I preach this, uh, but I'm not trying to make you critical of songs. Even if we sing one you don't like, you don't think it's exactly scripture, sing it anyway and smile. Hallelujah. And you don't have to tell me I already approved it. It's fine. Hallelujah. Uh, but I'm just saying, though, I, I sense that. And I wish I could tell you there will be no more fight. I wish I could tell you that until Jesus comes, you just float on a flowery bed of ease and it's all going to be all right. But I can tell you good news. If you'll fight with the fight of faith, if you'll learn to use your armor in God, you will always win if you never quit. Always. Always. Always means always. Hallelujah. This is the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. To give you a victory and an expected end. What's my expected end? I expect to win. I expect to win. I expect to win. Why? Because Jesus has already won. So the, so the battles of life you go through, if you start from the victory side. There is a song we sing that I see this through the victory so you, every battle you're in, listen to me, if you're in a battle in your mind, if you're in a battle in your body, if you're in a battle in your finances, if you're in a battle in your family, if there's a battle of faith anywhere, the reason that battle is there is because you can win it. It's because you can win it. There, it's because you can win it. There's no temptation taken to you. There's no problem that comes your way that you're not able to win it. Amen. Otherwise, the Bible teaches, and I don't have time to go into this, that it wouldn't be there if you couldn't win it. Amen. Now, I will tell you this, since we're just, we're just talking, is there are some battles you fight in your life that you were never meant to fight. There are some giants in your life that you... You see, David was appointed to fight Goliath. He was trained to fight Goliath. How do I know that? Well, he, he whooped up on a lion and a bear, which is pretty cool. I want to see the replay. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I mean, it just came up. Why? Because he's anointed to be king. He's already, in, but when he went to fight Goliath, he was already anointed to be king. Well, you're anointed to win because the greater one lives in you. Because the greater one lives in you. You're anointed to win. David was anointed to win that battle. Amen. I believe it was set up for him to win. He took the opportunity that came, and he took it, and he, and he went at it with the tools that he knew would work. Because remember, Saul tried to give him his army. He said, I've never proved that, but this, this little slingshot and these stones, that'll work. But really what won that? I come to you in the name of the Lord. So that's the way he must have come at the lion and the bear. Because I don't know if you've ever taken food from a, a hungry lion or a hungry bear. Snatched it right out of his mouth alive. That's pretty good. It's not just a story. It happened. Amen. What am I trying to tell you? I, I'm just telling you that the victory is yours. It doesn't matter what comes your way. Just as long as you and I. And if I'm not helping you tonight, I'm helping me. I'm just, we're just not going to give up. We're just not going to quit fighting. You never lose until you quit. You never lose. Until, I don't care what the battle is in your mind. I don't care what the battle is in your body. I don't care what the battle is in your finances. Hallelujah. The, the Bible really clearly says that because we've been raised together with Christ, that we're seated far above every principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that's given a name, it's under our feet. And so you got to go at it from the victory side. 
Come on, somebody shout, I win. I win. Somebody shout, I always win. First Timothy 6.12 says it's a good fight of faith. Okay, so uh, we talked about this. So, so if we're going out the winning side, though, you're going to go into battle knowing you have an enemy. You have an opponent. Um, just as God is real, the devil is real. And, um, and then there's the works of the devil, sickness, disease, poverty, confusion, strife, um, all, the, all the mess. Anything that steals, kills, and destroys, according to Jesus, is always from the devil. You know, I know a lot of people teach uh, in the church, and you don't hear it around here because it's not word. It's not, it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's not New Testament doctrine. God's not sending any sicknesses. He's not sending any diseases. He's not getting you in a car wreck to slow you down and teach you anything. He's not causing you to get fired. If you got fired, that might have been your fault. And so, um, you know what I'm saying? He's not, he's not doing things to teach you lessons. That was just a drive-by, all right? And so... Um, so the deal is this, you know, I, this one guy that was a close friend of mine, he was fired like four times and every time it was his boss's fault. Every time it was his boss's fault. Hmm. Huh. Anyway, so the deal is this though. Um, I don't want to digress because the, you're going to, um, we're going to win, but we have to fight and we have to know that we've won the victory. And yet we have to know we have an enemy. If you're going into, because uh, God's already won. He doesn't need, he's already fought for you. Jesus has already won. So why am I going through what I'm going through? I just really meant to review and go on. But there's three kinds of storms in life. You need to catch some of these new people up. Some of you have heard this a long time. There's three kinds of storms. The ones... The devil causes. Jesus told them to get on the boat, go to the other side. Suddenly a storm came up. What got rid of that storm? Jesus rebuked it. Caused it to be still. They immediately went to the other side. Uh, what other kind of storms are there? Well, there's disobedient storms. Sometimes you fight battles you were never intended to fight. How do you get out of those? First, you got to repent. Did Jonah repent? He had to repent. He had to repent, and then he got a, a, a ride in a whale, which is cool. I want to see that film, too. I want to see him getting out of the whale, all seaweeded up. Hallelujah. Can you imagine the stinking preacher? He must have stunk. That's why they all repent. No. Uh, get out of here. Hallelujah. So, so we know that. All right. And so what's the other kind of storm, though? It's the storm that really you can't do anything about because other people caused it. Right? Paul's storm. Remember Paul's storm? He warned them this was going to be dangerous, but they wouldn't listen to him. And so he's in the middle of it. What happened? Well, he prayed, and the Lord delivered him out of it. Amen? All right, now let's get in tonight. So we have an enemy. And so he has these three things I want to give to you real quick again. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant. Everybody say, I'm not ignorant. Of what? The devil's devices. That word device is nomata, N-O-E-M-A-T-A. And it means an insidious plot and a wicked scheme of Satan to attack and victimize the human mind. It is literally mind games. So the devil has devices, and really what it is is mind games. The devil can't touch your spirit. You are born again. The devil can't touch your spirit. You are born again. 
But what he does then is he comes to your soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. So we're the devil's playground. Joyce Meyer has one of the greatest books of all time called The Battlefield of the Mind. If you've not got that in your library, you ought to get that in your library. You know, props to Joyce. That was a, a life-changing book. The other book that I really love along this subject, Dress to Kill, Rick Renner. I told him when he was just here. Uh, still, I, I don't care how many books you, you pump out, and he can pump them out, big ones. Hallelujah. I still like Dress to Kill the best. I don't know what he thought of that. Anyway, but um, so the second one I want you to see is Ephesians 6.11. No, let's see. Yeah, Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So number one, the devil has devices. Number two, he has wiles. That, wild, that word wiles is methodos, M-E-T-H-O-D-O-S. It means with roads come the idea, it means with roads, but it comes with the idea of cunning, crafty, subtle, full of trickery. So the devil has wiles that he's cunning, Crafty, subtle, full of trickery. So the devil doesn't march up with pitchfork and horns to try to tell you who he is. He, he, he sneaks some things in. Okay? The third one, Ephesians 6.16. Ephesians 6.16. Ephesians 6.16. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So, fiery darts. What is that? It says you, uh, it's like deception. You begin to give credence to, to lies and mentally perceive them as though they are really truth. Those lies begin to dictate who you are. They do that by dominating your emotions and your thinking and even comes in pictures. And so when a fiery dart comes back in the day, uh, they used to make those arrows and they would light them. But there was more than just lit. When they would hit their target, they would also explode. And so when the devil comes with a fiery dart, if you don't have a shield of faith, wherever it hits, it not only causes you uh, some problems, but it'll explode. It explodes and it gets you off into error. It gets you off into sin. It gets you off into many different things. And so the fiery darts, that's why we're going to look at later, but it says, that's why he said, take the shield of faith. And really, above all, in our circles, sometimes they, they say the shield of faith is the most important um, uh, uh, aspect. And I understand that. But really, it means out in front of all. So your shield of faith, your faith has to be out in front of your life. It, you live by faith. The just shall live. It's out in front of all. It's in front of everything I do. It's not an afterthought. It's not, I don't use my faith when I, I don't just use my faith when I'm in trouble. Because if you wait till you're in trouble to use your faith, your faith won't work very well. In other words, there's a hurricane in Florida right now. If you're trying to board up your windows in the middle of 150 mile an hour, you're, you're too late. And that's what a lot of people do when it comes to the things of life when they get into trouble. Um, that, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and I want them to come. Like um, when they have a tr trouble with, you know, they get a bad diagnosis and, you know, maybe all their life they've heard that Jesus is the healer or could heal, but they didn't pay any attention. But now that they've got a, a, a bad diagnosis, then they try to do something about it. And, and I would rather them try to do something about it. But a lot of times it's very hard to learn to believe God when you're in pain when you're almost dead. Not to say God can't do a miracle, right? But receiving, but what's the best thing? We got to keep our faith built up all the time. 
We live by faith, not by sight. Your shield is out in front of all. So that means when the devil's trying to do anything, I'm catching the fiery darts as they come to me on a daily basis. And whether you know it or not, they come to you on a daily basis. And some of you understand this. There are some that are concentrated. In other words, the same thing has worked for so long, he doesn't need a new trick. He doesn't need a new fiery dart. If the old one continues to work, he don't need anything new. He's just going to ramp it up. Come on, have you ever felt in your life like they come one after the other, after the other? What do we got to do? Well, I just keep putting up my shield of faith. I just keep putting up my shield of faith. How do I do that? I speak the word of God, all right? So that's what happens. And so I began to talk to you about this. Then what are some of the things in practical sense from the word of God? What are the, um, what are the um, devices? What are the wiles? What are the fiery darts? And first one we looked at was strife. How many know strife is the big enemy? And right now, strife is running rampant in the United States of America and even trying to get into the church. But you and I, are not, we are not that stupid. Because the Bible says I'm not ignorant of his devices. And so I can smell strife miles away. I'm just, we just can't have it. I'm not going to let it in my life. I'm not going to let it in my ears. I'm not going to let it come out my mouth. I'm just not going to have any strife. I'm just not going to have any. Because it's dangerous. Because the Bible says where there's strife, right? Where there's strife, there's every evil work. The Bible doesn't exaggerate. So strife is, so what do you think? If, if where strife is, there's every evil work. If I were the devil, you remember that sermon? I, I did it a long while ago. But if I were the devil, one of the first things I would do is try to sow strife in you. And I would definitely start with a marriage. Because that's a reflection between God and the church. And if I can get enough marriages into strife, I can mess that picture up. And then if I'm going to throw, you know, if the devil's going to sow strife, where would he do it? Well, he'd do it in a church. He'd do it in a ministry. He'd do it in, he just will do it anywhere. He'll do it among close friends. Because if he can get it in there, there's what? Every evil work. So strife is a wide door to, to destruction. And then we looked at another thing the devil does on a regular basis. But none of us have this problem at Cornerstone Word of Life Church because we've all been through Bible Institute and sat through everybody's favorite class, Love Walk. And we are not ever going to not, we're just not going to get out of love with one another. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Do you know the devil knows Mark 11, 25 and 26? The church knows Mark 11, 23, and 24, especially ours. But do you know uh, Mark 11, 25, and 26 is also in the Bible? Do you think the devil knows that scripture? Well, he knows that the devil can tie our hands in believing God if he can get us in unforgiveness. So he'll work overtime to get you in unforgiveness. And after he gets you in unforgiveness, he won't stop there. He'll move it all the way over into bitterness. Because see if he can get you under forget unforgiveness and then get you bitter about it. Get you bitter about it. Woo. Can I tell you some stories? I'll tell you some stories. I remember this one time. This is a long time ago. It happens more regular, though, than I would like for it to happen. People come to our church, and they want to tell us about how mean and nasty their last pastor was and how that church did them wrong. And I'm thinking, mm, maybe you should go down the road because I don't know that you, I mean, I want to help them, but if they're not want to help, but when you carry that bitterness around, what does the Bible say you do? If anyone ever comes and they're hurt, we will bring them in. We'll love on them. All right. Don't think that. That's the truth. 
because, you know, they just don't know. But if they keep carrying that, what do they do? They always cast their seeds. Does the devil know that? Does the devil know that? So what's he going to do? He's going to try to get people in strife. He's going to try to get them in unforgiveness. Those are his devices. Those are his insidious plots. He doesn't have any... God doesn't have any new ways to deliver you, and the devil doesn't need any new plans to destroy you. I'll say that again because I was inspired. God doesn't have any new ways to deliver you, but the devil doesn't have any new plans to destroy you. He doesn't need them. The same ones work. And they're even written down to warn us. But do we still fall into the trap? Sometimes. But you always have the victory. Come on, we're going to overcome. Why are we going through this? Because it's time for you to fight. You can't, be a, you can't be weary. But I'm tired. Well, no, you're not. You're strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Well, I'm weak. No, you're strong. <clears throat> no, you're strong. I can't do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I can't take one more step. Oh, you can run a marathon in God. Hallelujah. Come on, talk back to yourself. Talk back to yourself. Amen. I don't care how you feel. Don't, don't, let your, don't, don't stay there. Hallelujah. So we know that unforgiveness, and then it gets into bitterness. And, then, and unforgiveness, and when it gets into bitterness, it doesn't just trouble you. It troubles people around you because the Bible says you defile. Right? And then what else does the devil do? Well, he's a good liar. I want to tell you this. The devil's a lot of things. Stupid's not one of them. He's not. People say, well, he's that dumb devil. I get that. I say that too. But he's not dumb. He's not dumb. Um, if he was crafty enough to destroy a perfect man and woman, and he, he was so sure of himself that he tried it on Jesus. He's pretty sure of himself. But you and I are getting wiser by the minute. And if we know what he's coming with, then we know how to get rid of it. And one of the things he's coming with is lies and deceptions. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. Remember what Jesus said. He's the, the devil is the father of all lies. Now, 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 don't take this anywhere except for keep it in context. If you find people who lie on a regular basis, they lie. And they lie. And they lie so much, they think they're telling the truth. Because they started out deceived, now they're self-deceived. They've believed a lie so much, this would explain a lot of identity crisis in people that you can't help until they get born again because they're deceived about receiving Jesus. But when you lie and lie to yourself and let the devil lie to you, what happens? You get into self-deception. But all lies, everybody say all lies has one source. Because see, even, uh, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, they teach people and kids in school that not all lies are bad. But we teach our children from the word of God that all lies are bad. All lies are bad. Because they're all from one father. Jesus said, you're, you're of your father, the devil. He's been a liar from the beginning." So all lies have their root in the devil. You and I don't want to be helping the devil. Amen. I got it. Hallelujah. 
What else does the devil do? Well, let's look at this one. Let's look at um, Romans chapter 8. So that's two or three. I think this is number four. Let's look at this one. How do, how do his devices, how do his fiery darts, how does his wiles, how do they come? What do they look like? Well, one of the things that he does is he tries to work with our flesh. How many know your spirit got born again? Are you a new creature? Yeah. Amen. Is there anything wrong with your spirit? No. A lot of people teach, well, it's wounded. Your spirit's not wounded. Your spirit's not messed up. Your spirit is born again. You're created in the likeness and image of God. Now, your soul. Now, that's a different story. How I many you know we have to get our soul born again? In other words, we have to renew our mind. We have to keep our body under. We have to make our will his will, right? And so, um, but the devil, so he, he's working on a couple aspects. Uh, he's working on your soul. He's working on your body. And so let's look at this one. Um, let's look at uh, Romans 8, 6, and 7. Romans 8, 6, and 7. To be carnally minded. So what's carnal? Fleshly. Remember the, uh, the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians. Remember, he said to them, I can only speak to you. Uh, I, uh, I think the NIV says it was this way, mere men. How many of you know that's not a compliment? Um, we're not supposed to be just mere men. We're born again. We're children of God. For to be carnally minded is what? That's pretty plain. To be fleshly minded, to think like the world, to talk like the world, to act like the world is carnally minded and it leads to death. It doesn't mean physical death all the time, but it'll lead to the death of something. But to be spiritually minded is what? Life, zoe, and peace. So the Bible begins to contrast between being carnally minded and to being spiritually minded. And then it says this. In uh, verse number 7, because the carnal mind is an enemy of God. So in other words, your carnal mind, the way it thinks, opposes. If you don't like the word enemy, it just means it opposes him. It's not going in the same direction of him. And anything that's not with him is against him. I'll say that again. Anything that's not with him is against him. How can two walk together unless they agree? If you're not walking with him, you're walking against him. If you're not thinking with him, you're thinking against him. If you're not talking with him, you're talking against him. And really, you're talking against yourself and believing against yourself. The carnal mind is an enemy against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, and neither can it be. So, so we know this, and so what do we got to do with it? So what's the enemy of this? Is the devil comes to my and your, our, if we don't do something with our mind, if we don't do something with our thought life, the de- that's the devil's playground. And what do we know we got to do? So if, the, if we know the devil, if his access point is our carnal mind, then what do we got to do with people when they get born again? We got to begin to do what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. And you know this, but what do we got to do? Well, it says that we're supposed to do this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says that we, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body, living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, and be not conformed. Be not conformed. Ooh, I've I've been doing this a long time, and I've never seen the enemy working so hard to conform people to wrong thinking. 
and wrong believing. And how it's infiltrated the church that even the elect can be deceived right now. So you need to pay attention, even if somebody you admire, and there's a lot of people that I admire, but if they can't take me back to the word, then they can be wrong. They can be misled. Just because just they're on TV, just because they're this or that, doesn't make them right. I, I remember one time I was teaching at Bible Institute. I was teaching something, and I was teaching like line upon line right down the word. And this person came up to me, and they gave me a famous minister's name. And they said, well, that's not what the, the way they teach it. And I was like, well, I just gave you what the word says. And they said, well, they're on TV. I believe them. Good. That's your choice. I just gave you the word. I can mess up. That's why you, I can mess You ought to check out what I say. You ought, you ought to trace it back to the word. And it ought to have more than one scripture. And you ought to be able to find it. And I think it said somewhere. That's not good enough. I heard it said. Not good enough. I believe. Oh, really not good enough. I think. Ooh. you got to say, the Bible says. The Word of God says. That's how Jesus fought and won. Amen. Be not conformed to this world. Don't think like the world. But the world, the devil is using things to conform us. What does that mean? He wants us to think a certain way. But be transformed. You know this. I've talked to you about this many times in case you're new. It's the word metamorpho. It's one of my favorite words. It's metamorphosis. It's the tadpole becoming a frog. It's the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's a transformation. That means when it comes to you and I growing up and you and I resisting the devil. Uh, the Bible says, James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself therefore unto God, then you'll resist the devil, and then he'll flee. So the first thing you got to do is submit yourself, therefore, unto God. And one of the best ways to submit yourself unto God is to submit yourself to the Word of God. You can't, if you can't submit, in other words, if I can't do the Word of God, there, uh, let me help somebody. If I don't do what's written down, why does God need to bother to talk to me about something? If I can't do what's written down, he's not, gonna, he's not required to talk to me because all he's going to do is talk to me about what the Word says that is already written down. Will he do it? He's gracious. He's kind. But I'm just saying if you'll just do what the Word says, you will. So how do you submit yourself? Well, you submit yourself to God. The Bible talks about submitting yourself to the elders that are over you in the Lord. The Bible talks about submitting yourself to the Word of God. The Bible, you can talk, uh, you also would say you submit yourself uh, to uh, when the Holy Ghost speaks to you. But submission just means to come under. And when you submit yourself to God, it doesn't mean you have to agree with God. It means you got to do what he said. Oh, I love our circles. Everybody's like... I know how to submit, brother. I'm the most submissive person you are. No, you're the most agreeable person I've ever met. If, if you don't get a little eye wink and a uh when you have to submit, you don't know what it is. Otherwise, you're just in agreement. Oh, it's easy to submit when you're agreement. Oh, no, that's not even submission. You agree. That's why the Bible says, oh, we're, we're, we're hitting it now. We're having fun. That's why the Bible says submit yourself. It didn't say husbands, make your wife submit. 
It is not a husband's job to make his wife submit. A real husband wouldn't try to make his wife submit. It says, wives, as a favor to the Lord, submit yourself. It doesn't say women are submitted to men. Nowhere. 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 That's not what it said. There's neither male nor female in Christ Jesus. All right. I'm getting on Pastor Rhonda's subject. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. When you got to submit, though, you've got, when you submit, you, 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 uh, I remember, uh, I don't want to do this one. Let's do something else. Pete, you got one I can use? No? Um, so I was in Bible school. When I first got filled with the Holy Ghost, I got delivered. The power of God came on me, and I literally shook. I shook under the power of God for 45 minutes. So the Spirit of God began to use me um, in tongues and interpretation almost immediately. And uh, um, so when I would have a tongue or an interpretation, I would shake like this and go like this. And, I'll, you know, just kind of like shake. And that was my cue that that was the power of God. So I thought. So I, I, there was a whole lot of shaking going on for a long time. Then I went to Bible school, and she's been here, and I've told her this, and, and she's like, oh, I didn't do that. Uh, Patsy Caminetti, back in that day, it was Patsy Beerman, and she was up doing an exaltation. Well, the power of God fell in the room, and so I did my normal thing. I shook. And she looked at me, and she said, you don't have to do that. It's like, okay. I was in Bible school. I gave up everything. She embarrassed. She didn't embarrass me. She helped me, but I had a choice right there. This woman knows God. I'm a student learning something. Either I can submit to what she says or I can get mad and leave. And I watched a lot of people over those couple years get mad and leave at things. But I decided, and every, you know, people around me like, you know, you know what I did? I sat down. I quit shaking. I stood up. And you know what? It wasn't long after that that I was given tongues, interpretation, and prophecies without shaking. I was trying to get, I was trying to do something in my flesh to make sure I was anointed and was mostly put on. I said mostly. It was put on. I felt, I felt the power of God, but it was put on. I'm telling you what submission really looks like. True submission is when someone tells you something or the Bible, let's just go not someone. Let's, when the Bible says something and you find it hard or, you know, he says walk in love, forgive. I don't want to. Well, I'm going to submit anyway and I'm going to do it. When he says to tithe, well, I don't want it. I heard now that there's a new way out. I don't have to. Well, you get a choice. You can submit to the word that you really know is true. Or you can go the easy way out and do without. It'll lead down a slippery slope, trust me. Submission is not easy. And just being a doer of the word is not as easy as it's preached. When you've got to actually do it when you don't want to do it, that's submission. When it don't feel like it. When no one's applauding you. But if you'll do it, you'll be able to resist the devil. I know when I have trouble with that devil, I know the first place I look is James 4, 7. And trust me, 
Lately, I've been trying to making sure I've been going back and looking at anything he ta- I prayed out, anything I thought about he wants me to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get caught up. We, don't, we, we live in a time we have to be fully submitted. Why? Because he's got devices. Because he's got wicked schemes. Because he's got fiery darts. And he's not going to let up in this season. And so we can't let up in this season. So I'm going to be in the most, come on, let's be the most submitted we've ever been. And what are we going to do it? Well, the, how are we going to do that? I'm going to submit to him. I haven't lost where I'm at. We're, we're submitting to him by transforming our mind. What does it say? Romans 12 and 2 again. This is submitting to the word of God. I submit to you. I surrender all. That's good. And we sing that. But how about I submit to you, Lord. I'm, I'm going to renew my mind. And I'm going to do what you say do. You prompt me to do it, I'm going to do it. Be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I'd love to stop there and talk about that, but I don't have time. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Oh, really important one. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, are you all here in the flesh tonight? We do not war after the flesh. In other words, we got a physical body, and we're walking in it, and we're touching everything that's going on around here. It says, for the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal or they're not natural. But they are what? Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Well, then you got to find out what is a stronghold. Because a lot of people will tell you, well, a stronghold is a demon over a city. But that's not what it's talking about here because it begins to explain it. And so sometimes people puff this up into something that it's not, and then they're doing things that are silly when the Bible says this is what we got to do. So it says, for the weapons of our warfare in our carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. That is a, what is that with a little, it's not a colon, it's a semicolon. What does that mean? It continues. It's going to hook on to verse number five. So what is that? What, so what are the strongholds? They're imaginations. So what, how, 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 do I, how do I deal with the devil's um, devices? How do I deal with his wiles? How do I deal with his fiery darts? I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to transform my mind. And while I'm doing that, I'm submitting myself to the word of God. And as I submit myself to the word of God, then there I can resist the devil and whatever fiery dart, whatever device, whatever anything he sends my way. And what, how am I going to do that? I'm going to cast down any imagination. The devil is amazing at past, present, and future pictures. Imaginations. God gave you an imagination so you could dream big. But the devil has tried to hijack our imaginations for foul things. Come on, you get a diagnosis from a doctor. What's the first thing that happens? You begin to have pictures of, uh, of whatever ends up in a casket. What are you going to put on? What are you going to have them put dress you in while you're in it? What is it? That's immediately the devil coming to give you a picture of what he's going to try to do to you. But what do you got to do? Well, you got to change that. You got to cast it down. You got to cast it down. You got to cast it down. Well, you're getting old. You know, you're, you're not going to have any strength anymore. That's a lie. Who says that? Not God. He said, you'll renew your strength. Mount up with wings like an eagle. Now, see, that's becoming more real and real to me every day. Hallelujah. I'm not going to grow weary. No slowing down. Cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against knowledge, the knowledge of God. Where's knowledge? It has to do with your soul realm. 
So what, what's, what I got to do? I got to cast down imaginations and cast down any high thing so the devil brings things in to exalt them over what God has said in his word. He exalts a symptom over by the stripes of Jesus you have been healed. He exalts a, 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 a financial situation over my God. He exalts it over what the word says. In other words, that becomes more real to you than the word is real to you. And you got to elevate the word of God to cast it down. How do you cast it down? Well, you can't just think it. you got to say it. And to bring it, because this is how you do it. And to bring, I don't know if I'm helping you, I'm helping me good. And bring it into captivity. So that thing is running around in my soul. I got I to gotta take captive of it. How do I take captive of it? How do I take captive of the thought? Some of you have heard this from me many times. But if you open your mouth, it will cause your brain to disconnect from what you're thinking on that's negative, And it will cause you to think what God says about it. you got to open your mouth. Come on, even if you talk on the inside, that's good. But it's better when you're going through a battle to open your mouth and say what God says about it. Because it will cause that, that stinking thinking to stop. You'll arrest it. You'll stop it. You'll well, how many times do I got to do it? Well, as, my, as long as you want to be victorious. Amen. You go around speaking the word of God all day. That's all right. Some battles are like that. Amen. And someone hears you at work speaking the word of God, and they say, well, they might think I'm crazy. Well, you also might get them saved. Mm -hmm. Also might help them. Oh, that's good. What would you say? You never know. So what's the devil do? Well, he's going to try to assault your mind. Then what's he going to do? So we talked about the soul but also, and, and the flesh, but let's, let's talk some more about it. So let's look at um, Romans 8, 8 through 13. What are the devil's devices? What are his wiles? What are his fiery darts? Where is he going with this stuff? And if I know where he's going, then I can be prepared. And some of us, maybe you've been prepared a long time, but he snuck through somehow. And so this is just a friendly reminder from the Holy Ghost broadcast system that this, the word still works. I'll just let you in on a secret. Um, I've had some attacks in my life. We're just like, Lord, where are you? And he's always the same place he's ever, he's, he's just there, still sitting on the throne. The same things always work. I don't know why we look for something new. So he's been talking to me about some of the body of Christ. He's like, they always, they want something new when they're not, <laughs> when they're not doing what I told them to do already. And he told me this, he said, they don't need anything new. They need something fresh. There's a difference between something new and something fresh. I might keep, start to say I'm going to keep eating bread, but I'm not currently eating bread. I'm going to keep eating steak. I've had it a few ways, but I'm going to keep having it. I've been to Outback a number of times. They see me almost every Sunday. But I'm going to keep going because I like steak. And I'm not, I'm not, but you can't get tired of, so sometimes with the word of God, well, I need something new. You don't need anything new. You just need to do it. It needs to be fresh to you. How do you freshen it up? 
<laughs> Come on, how do you freshen it up? Well, you, you do what it says. You repeat it to yourself. You read Pastor Mark's daily bread that he works so hard at. Hallelujah. And what you got to do is you got to understand what the devil's doing. James, now where are we? Romans uh, 8. So then they that are of the flesh, what? How I many you know without faith it's impossible to please God? But he says if you're in the flesh, you, there's no way to please God. Woo! But, oh, good. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Well, is that true of everybody? But you're not in the flesh. Everybody, let's make a, a confession. Say, I'm not in the flesh. What am I? I'm in the spirit. Hallelujah. So if, you, if the spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his, right? Then it goes on. We're going to keep reading until verse 13. And if Christ be in you, aren't you grateful he's in you? The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead. Now, we use this a lot um, to talk about healing, and I believe it's applicable to healing. But in context, this is when the devil is messing with your flesh. This is when the devil's messing with your flesh. Now, I don't know if I'm the only one in here the devil ever tries to mess with their flesh. But he said, so what you got to know is when the devil's messing with your flesh, when he's tempting your flesh, when you feel like doing something you ought not be doing, when you feel, when you want to sin, let's just not, let's just not call, I'm not, I'm just, just call it sin. And the wages of it is death. And you know better in your heart. You might even know better in your mind, but your body wants to. In other words, your body wants to um, tell somebody, you know, they, they're not nice to you. And, and they cut in front of you at the gas station or at the Kroger line. Or, you know, at work, they, they take the credit for something you did. And, uh, you know, your flesh wants to tell them. And so you do tell them. Well, that's walking in the flesh. And that's not good. Because the more you yield to it, the more it'll take over. But if the spirit, but this says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, then he that raised up Christ from the dead will also do something. That word quicken. What is that? Make alive. So when my flesh is feeling its work, I don't know if I'm helping you, but I'm helping me. When my flesh is feeling dead, when my flesh is feeling like you know, it's just things are not going well. If I'll get into the word, because Jesus said my words, they are spirit and they are life. The Bible says we're going to look at it. We were going to look at Galatians 5, 16. If you walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lusts of your flesh. So if my flesh wants to sin, if, even if my flesh knows better and it knows the wages, even if I know better and the wages of sin is death and I want to do it, if I'll get into the spirit, if I'll get into the word of God, if I'll yield my body a living sacrifice unto the Lord, then what's going to happen? I'm going to start feeling some quickening. In other words, my flesh has begun to become alive. Just like, you know, you've been taught it this way, that that power that Jesus was raised from that quickens your mortal flesh will heal your body. And I believe that because Jesus got up with healing in his wings. I believe that. But in reference, this is talking about when your body, when your flesh wants to do what it wants to do. And you have a weapon against that because the devil is fire. When it comes to your flesh, he's, he's firing the fiery darts. He's sending the wiles. He's sending the wicked schemes. He's feeling the feelings, the want to's, right? Feeding you with it. And it's not once, it's twice, it's over and over again. What do I got to do? If I walk in the spirit, 
if I'll get into the word of God, and if I'll believe this, hallelujah. Everybody say the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is quickening, making alive my mortal flesh. I'm not a sinner. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I keep my body under. Amen. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This is, this is good stuff. James chapter 1, 12 through 15. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. So the devil comes with temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. How many men should ever say that when they feel tempted, God is doing it? Never. How many men, how many people do you hear? Well, I think the Lord, because they'll use it, they'll change the word tempt to test. Well, the Lord is testing me. Well, he'll never test you with a sin. He'll never test you with the wrong desire. Well, the Lord's just seeing, you know, he's trying the reins of my heart. That's not how he tries the reins of your heart. That's trying the reins of your flesh. That's different. If God tests you, it's open book. And he'll test you what he said, uh, are you obeying? But anytime you're tempted to sin, that temptation has never come from God. Why? 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 For God cannot be tempted but with evil, neither tempts he any man. So God's never tempting you. God doesn't test you to sin. In other words, if you were once an alcoholic, he's not going to have a buddy come, back, uh, come by with a six-pack of Bud or Coors Light. Or your favorite. He's not going to, if you have trouble with pornography, he's not going to throw up a bunch of things just while you're innocently uh, watching something. You know what I'm saying? God's not testing you that way. What is that? Well, that temptation is, just, is natural, but also it's always all de demonic inspired. Why? Because that's what the devil does. But what's the good news? What's the good news? Well, it's not good news yet. We're getting there. But every man is tempted <laughs> when he's drawn away with his own lust. That means my physical body has lust. Your physical body didn't get born again. That's why you got to put it under. That's why you got to let it be quickened. And drawn away with his own lust and enticed. Verse 15. And when lust has conceived, that word conceived is the word conception. It's like how a woman gets pregnant with a baby. How many know when a woman gets pregnant with a baby, it took two things. We, need, we don't need to do biology right now. You all know, as everybody knows, two things, right? And then when those two things come together, a child is conceived. So in order for sin to be conceived, you got to have the lust of your flesh, which, well, how do, can you do anything with that? Well, yeah, you certainly can. You can keep your body under. You can walk in the spirit. You can uh, train your mind with the word of God. You can cast down imaginations. You can uh, walk in a quickened state. You can always walk. Oh, I can't walk in the spirit all the time. That's a lie. You can walk in the spirit 24, day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can if you know what walking in the spirit is. What you cannot do is necessarily control the devil coming at you. When he comes, if you're submitted to God, you can resist him. And asking him to please leave you alone in a nice tone is not going to work. Please, can we take a break? No. 
When lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished with you, it'll be death. Mm-mm-mm. Hallelujah. What does the devil do? Well, he's doing all these things. But thank God we don't have to have any of this in life because we know the devil's devices. I'm not ignorant of the devil's devices. Everybody say, I'm not ignorant. So doesn't that feel good? You're not ignorant. Hallelujah. No matter what anybody told you, you're not ignorant of the devil's devices. You're not ignorant. We know what he's going to do. We know how he's going to do it, and we know where he's going to do it at. He's going to do it in our mind. He's going to do it in our soul. He's going to do it in our bodies. He's coming at those two areas. But our spirit, as long as it's stronger, and then if you begin to transform your mind and begin to think like God thinks, then it's two against one. And then when it's two against one, then you can begin to put your body under. But if you don't ever do anything with your body and you don't do anything with your soul, then it's two against one the other way. So your soul is the pivotal point that you have to renew your mind. You must take the time and renew your mind. I, and it's not, I have, removed, I have removed my mind. I have renewed my mind 30 years ago. I don't need to renew it again. No, you got to renew it every day. You got to renew it every, find a way. And I joke about, well, it's not really a joke. I do work hard at those. Um, uh, but they help me. Honestly, they help me. I love to study the word. It helps me get it out. I, I enjoy doing it. Bethany always reminds me when I haven't turned them in yet. And so, because uh, I want to get them out to you. But if it's not that, you know, read that. And those are short. But do something. Maybe you're adv- too advanced and you need the Rick Renner ones. The sparkling gems. Now, those are some daily devotionals. Or uh, husbands and wife, find something you do together. Uh, read it separately and then talk about it. Text one another about it. What did you get out of that? What did you get out of that? Do something to daily renew your mind. Read the Bible, study the Word, but do something to daily renew your mind because you're going to have to renew it every day. You're going to have to keep it renewed. And there will be seasons that are upcoming in your life that the Lord will have led you for a month to renew along a certain subject or to read along a certain line. And then something will come up and then you'll be ready to go. Ready, not playing catch up, ready to go. Oh, I noticed that fiery dart. I see that. And this is what the word says. Amen. So what other things do you try to do? I'm going to let you go here in just a second. Um, well, I know way too much about this one. What else does the devil try to do? Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests be made known unto God. You can look in Matthew uh, chapter 6. Jesus is talking about worrying won't even add a, a cubit, an inch to your life. In other words, worrying won't fix anything. He's talking about finances. It, worrying about it won't fix it. And then we know what um, uh, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And then uh, 1 John 4, 18 says that perfect love casts out all fear. Um, worry is based in fear. Anytime you're worrying about anything, it means you're afraid. And fear is a spirit. So it's cooperating with the devil. It's... Uh, Just like um, the word of God produces faith and comes out of your mouth and the Lord can perform it, fear produces worry, which comes out of your mouth and is in your actions so the devil can perform it. 
the devil needs us to worry. He needs us to talk about what we're concerned about. And when you talk about what you're concerned about, then the devil can jump on it and make it happen. Um, Fortune tellers. Not all of them are hocus-pocus, weird, like just try to take people's money. There's real ones. And what they do is they use the devil to tell you something about your past, and then they don't know your future. They can't. Only God knows your future. They can't. So what they've done is convinced you that they're spiritual. Not anybody in this room, I'm sure. But they convinced you that you're spiritual because they told you a truth because it's a past and a familiar spirit has told them what you did in the past and is very accurate. And then they'll tell them, then they'll tell you something they want to have happen in the future because they were accurate in the past and you begin to talk about what was said and you bring it to pass yourself. Don't mess with that stuff. It's not fun. It's not funny. It's not cute. It's demonic. Don't let your children mess with that stuff. Even little cute cartoons. Everybody say, no worry. Yeah, let's, oh, it's out back again. I'm hungry. No worries. That's why I like it so much there. They have no, it's no worries. That's why I like it. No worries. What does worry do? Causes you to meditate something. What does meditation do? Causes you to talk about something. What does talking about something do? Causes it to come to pass. What's the basis of it? Fear. What does that mean? If I have a fear of anything, it means I don't know the love of God in that area. Because the love of God, God loves you so much, he's not going to let that happen to you. The love of God casts out all fear. There's some fear that's rational and there's some fear that's irrational. Fear that's rational means there's based on something uh, around you, like a, a tornado coming your way. There's rational fear that you probably ought not stand outside <laughs> in front of it unless the Spirit of God inspires you to talk to it and command it to go up. But you better be sure that's God. But that fear doesn't, shouldn't, that, that rational fear shouldn't cause you to panic. You should know the love of God will protect you through that because his angels have charge over you. Irrational fear is something that's just really squirrely that the devil puts in you that he says he's going to do and immediately causes you to begin to worry and then talk about it and uh, the Lord will help you. Yeah, we got to go. Hallelujah. I tell the story all the time, but when they pop up, they just pop up, so there might be a helpful person. So uh, Pastor Rhonda wasn't at home, and she was with her mom in the hospital, and things were going on. And suddenly, I had this huge lump appear overnight. It was big, and it was on the back of my neck, and Rhonda wasn't there to tell me it was nothing. So um, I, I could feel it. And you don't know me, but when it's something's like that, I, I can't seem to leave it alone. What is this? And so I'm laying in bed, and I was really sincere. Some of you heard this many times, but I was really sincere, and I meant it. I, I, I just got, you know, I kind of got my ready-to-talk-to-Jesus voice on. I said, Lord, should I worry about this? 
And you may not think he did this, but he did. He said, that's exactly what I would do if I were you. (laughs) Oh, he didn't say that. (laughs) Whatever. You know what it did? I just began to do what you did. I began to laugh, and I just put my hand on it, and I cursed it. And when I woke up in the morning, it was gone. Well, what was it? I don't know. I don't care. I don't know. I don't care. I just know it was gone. That's exactly what I'd do if I were you. I'd just worry about it. It's <laughs> exactly what I'd do. Because, you know, you can worry in a car payment. The more you worry about it, the more that money comes, right? You can, wor- you can worry a relationship fixed. Can't do it. That's why Jesus said you can't even add a, worrying won't even add any height to you. <laughs> I guess you can worry about your short. I don't know why you use that. <laughs> I don't know. The last thing the devil tries to do, we're not going to look at it real a lot, but you remember Martha and Mary? Remember Martha got a, well, all right. Luke chapter 10, 38. Now it came to pass, as they went, they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received them into her house. She had a sister called Mary, verse 39, which also sat at Jesus' feet. So they both were used to sitting at Jesus' feet and, he, and heard his word. So Jesus is teaching, Mary sitting at his feet, but Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him. So Martha came to who? And she's about to talk to the Lord because she called him Lord. And she said, Lord, don't you care? They're real close. I mean, don't you care? Don't you care? Man, the devil loves it when you talk to God like, don't you care? Where are you? Where are you? Don't you care? Remember when Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat? We're dying here. Don't you care? That's, the devil loves that. Through Job's wife, just curse God and die. Don't you care? So this is not a small thing. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to get off her lazy butt and help me. But, <laughs> never mind. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha. Anytime you get a two-namer, it's like Mark Dwayne Garver. That means you're in trouble. Whatever your middle name is, you're in trouble. Right? means you're in trouble. He said, Martha, Martha. Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you're careful and troubled about many things. Just because you're busy, just because you're active, just because you're doing things, that can be uh, being troubled about many things, and it's not always the wisest thing. And so you got to check and see, I don't have time. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on a Wednesday night. But just let's make sure in the season that we're coming to that we don't get too busy to sit at his feet. Because he didn't say, Mary, get up. He said, what? She's chosen the more needful thing. Well, you know, she's in there frying chicken. She's in there doing what she's doing. She's trying to do her best to serve the Lord. It wasn't that. She just had her priorities out of shape. But it wasn't many days hence that Jesus was multiplying food. She just assumed that he was going to want food when they were done. She didn't ask him what he wanted. But when she went to him and tell, tell her to get up and help me, he, he instead gave her a Martha, Martha. 
Amen. Worry, being too busy, being encumbered with many things will cause the devil to win in your life. Amen.